So, as mentioned, I spoke to the girls a couple of weeks ago, and I won't tell you exactly what I told them, but in a couple of sentences, I'll tell you the gist of it, and then I want to tell you a totally different message that I didn't tell them, and then you'll probably understand why I didn't tell them before I'm telling you. Follow what I'm saying? Okay. So what did I tell them? Well, we, we basically we spoke about how the fact that Hashem designed us perfectly. And when we behave in a manner that is consistent with that design, then everything goes well. Everything is in a state of ease. But when we work against the design, then it's in a state of dis-ease or disease. So we have to know what Hashem has in mind for us and then to live our lives consistently with that and everything sort of flows. We're working with the flow of energy instead of fighting against it. And in a, in a nutshell, I told them that we were designed to be of service. That means we're not here for ourselves. We're not here to receive we're here to give. We're here to be givers. And I didn't just tell that to them to empower them, although that's certainly important to empower our youth, to let them know about uh, how important they are and how powerful they are. But I told it to them because I, I really, really do believe that it's true. Um, Hashem created us to be givers. And... Uh, no one will ever, ever get burnt out from being a true giver. We, we get burnt out when we start looking for a payoff from our giving, which is a tricky way of actually being a taker, but under the guise of being a giver. So when we get hooked on validation, which means we're trying to get something out of what we're giving, then we get burnt out. But if we're really just giving for fun and for free, then we feel great. And Hashem keeps giving us more kayach. You know how it is when you're involved in something productive and it's something greater than yourself and it just picks you up. And if you, if you're, you're working hard, but you're not getting tired. You feel, like, you, know, you feel like it's carrying you. And we all know how great that feels. That's the greatest feeling in life. That's health. So anyways, that's what I spoke to them about. Um, now you want to hear what I did not speak to them about? But I would like you to speak to them about yeah and as I said you will appreciate that I shared it with you first so you can decide how to deliver the message I figured it was one of those things that each parent should have the opportunity to deliver the message in the way that they choose rather than just to have some stranger come into school and tell your kids in the way that he chooses but now that I've given you fair warning, you don't tell your daughters before the next time I see them, I'm gonna tell them myself. I'm not joking. Okay, now that I scared you all. I saw a video that was posted online um, of a a special committee 
that was assembled by the United Nations Security Council and it was to look into the unique problem or the phenomenon of the radicalization of Western youth. Just bear with me here. I, I know that, I know I'm, we're at Base Rifka in Crown Heights, right? Okay, just bear with me. They were looking into this phenomenon of radicalization of Western youth, and they're basically they were trying to answer the question, how come a uh, middle-class kid who's, uh, whose parents are doctors, who's growing up in the suburbs of, of London or New York or Paris, and uh, he's growing up with all the creature comforts of a fairly affluent Western lifestyle. Why a kid like that would risk that all, not risk it, spurn it, abandon it, and risk life and limb and, and radicalize and join some you know, crazy group and risk getting blown up in some desert somewhere. Well, why, why, how does it happen? Why does it happen? So they had this guy, an anthropologist, from the University of Michigan, who was a Talmud Muvhak of uh, Margaret Mead. I don't know a lot of anthropologists, but if you know one name of one anthropologist, usually it's Margaret Mead. So he was a Talmud of Margaret Mead. And uh, so he said to them, he says, look, you know, I'm not reporting on what's right, what's wrong, I'm not making any moral judgment here, I'm just, an, I'm an anthropologist. I study people and the way they interact in groups and the societies that they form and I just report the data and I'm just telling you what I found. So he says, if you want to understand these youth and why they do what they do, I'm not saying whether it's right, it's wrong, I'm just telling you why. As an anthropologist, I'm telling you what we found. He said, we studied these kids and we found that they were looking for three things. In, in each and every case, they were looking for three things. These are the across the board commonalities. They were looking for three things. To live a, a, li to live a life of sacrifice for a cause greater than self amid camaraderie. Camaraderie. Chavreshaft. I'll say it again. He said, we found three things. What they were looking for. To live a life of sacrifice. I'm just trying to remember it as I'm saying it to you. To live a life of sacrifice for a cause greater than self. Right? I can't sacrifice myself for myself. It has to be something greater than self. Amid camaraderie. Meaning I'm doing it with the chavre. We do it together. And that they want this so badly that when it's not provided for them, they find it anyway. And he said, again, I, you know, I'm not saying right or wrong. I'm just telling you as an anthropologist, this is how teenagers work. Then he said a great line. It was just, it was golden. He said, you know, I hear you policymakers talking about your 
proposed solutions. He's like, look, I'm an anthropologist. I'm not a policymaker. I know how people work. That's what I do. I study people. I know how people work. I know people. And I listen to you policymakers, and I hear you talking about, well, where are we going to find a moderate voice in the Muslim world to counter the radical voice? Where are we going to find a moderate voice for, for the teenagers, for the youth? He says, this is the line that was golden. He says, do you guys even know any teenagers? Since when was any teenager ever interested in anything moderate? He continued and he said, the response to evil radicalization is good radicalization, but not being moderate. And then he continued to cherry pick a few examples of teenagers in the Muslim world who had done some pretty impressive things. He mentioned some girl in Pakistan who started a library for girls, which in her town was like pretty crazy, you know? You know make a place where girls can, can read books, right? And that, that took a lot of chutzpah. And he was saying, like, that's good radicalization. So now you're giving her that outlet. Now she doesn't have to go for the, the bad radicalization. Okay. <clears throat> so, by the way, why is there the feedback? Am I holding the mic wrong? Am I doing something? What's with the feedback? Huh? Is it my phone? I, have my, I don't even have my phone up here. What? Okay. Okay. I guess we're just uh, going to live with it. Okay. So I guess the question is, and, I, and that's why I said I wanted to give you the benefit of having this discussion together before... Um, before the girls hear about it. But I guess the question is, if we are collectively, as a community and as families, providing positive outlets for the essential radical nature of youth, and, and I know I'm using the word radicalism because that's the buzzword today. I don't mean radicalism, but that's, that's a word everyone today understands, so that's the word I'll use. You know, the Rebbe was always the biggest radical. You know, one of the first radical things that Rebbe did at the beginning of the Nisias. The first Michtov Klali, the first communal letter that the Rebbe sent out, which I believe was Rosh Hashanah Tovshin Yud Aleph, the Rebbe changed the Nusach. With one word, the Rebbe established himself as going against the grain, as a totally, as a total iconoclast. And the real literal definition of iconoclasm, like Abraham who broke the idols, iconoclast means an image breaker, one who breaks the icons, one who breaks the idols of previous convention. 
And what did the Rebbe do? With one word. The Nusach used to be L'chol B'nei Yisrael. And the Rebbe added one word. And it was radical. L'chol B'nei U'b'neis Yisrael. U'b'neis Yisrael. With one word, the Rebbe broke convention. And the Rebbe was not tone deaf. He was 100% cognizant of, I'll say it mildly, the ripples that made in the firm world. How can you write? I mean, that was considered wild. That was in the firm world. In Lubavitch, I mean, people didn't, weren't accustomed to such a Rebbe yet. And the Rebbe comes out, L'chol b'nei u'b'nei Yisrael. Right there, the Rebbe is already saying, Chevra, just because this is the way it's always been done, doesn't mean this is the way I'm continuing to do it. Now, I appreciate, and this is a testimony to the effect, effectiveness of the Rebbe's radicalism, that for many of you, that might not even grab you as something wild. But trust me, in 1951, that was crazy. When the Rebbe spoke in Bosilegani about Shtusta Gedusha, the Rebbe didn't just speak about Shtusta Gedusha. You want to see Shtusta Gedusha? That was a gutsy move. That was radical. And Dafka, the Rebbe had the girls in mind when he launched his radicalism. The Rebbe immediately doubled the number of chassidim that any Rebbe ever had because the Rebbe made the girls chassidim. That's radical. It used to be a mole that a girl is like in the Litvisha world. What's a girl? She marries a Ben Taira. So in the Chassidisha world, a girl marries a Chassid. By the Rebbe, the Rebbe has boy Chassidim and girl Chassidim. Radical. We just had a Kines HaShluchis last week. Radical. In the 60s, in the 60s, when the Frum world was disgusted with the counterculture movement, go back and look at the, the, the speeches, at the talks that the Frum world was, was giving, the known uh, thought leaders at that time, what they were saying about counterculture, and, and, f and knowing full well that the, the, that the best and the brightest and the movers and shakers of that movement were all Jews. They were all Jewish boys and girls. And, and look at what the so-called Torah leadership in America was saying about the hippies with such disdain and such hatred for their, for their wild ways and in decrying the decay of Western morality. And the Rebbe looked at it and he said, No, Gor Fakert, this is energy. We can harness this. And, and the Rebbe put his money where his mouth is and... and gave those radicals a place, a path, an avenue to come home. And, and not to come home by muting their radicalism, but the Rebbe upped the ante. He says, you think you know radicalism. You come, be, be my chassid, you're going to see real radicalism. And the mole, that was the air that you breathe. That wasn't indoctrination. Nobody had to sit down and have a class called Mesiris Nefesh, 
Shtustakadusha, Radicalism 101. There was no such class. The fact that Suda Shabbos was 10 minutes and that was normal, because the Rebbe is fabrenging. Suda Shabbos is 10. It doesn't matter that in Borough Park, someone who has Suda Shabbos in 10 minutes, that's Hill Shabbos. What are you doing? 10 minutes Suda Shabbos, that's nuts. But everybody understood. The Rebbe is fabrenging. So Suda Shabbos was 10 minutes. That's a normal way to live. But of course, but of course, since when did we look to what's normal? The, 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 the whole culture, by default, was radicalism. I got an email about a year ago from a guy, a Litvish guy, in uh, wherever, I'm not going to say where, in a, a, in, a, in a well-known and established community. And he emailed me out of the blue. I mean, to me it was out of the blue. I don't know how long he'd been planning it, but for me it was, you know, without any uh, previous contact or anything like that. And he had a bunch of questions in Chassidus, which obviously hooked me, because that's interesting to me. People email me with questions in Chassidus, they have my attention. So I answered his questions the best that I could. And he responded, and he engaged me in the whole conversation. And I saw that this guy, and he told me he was a Litvish guy, and he told me which yeshivas he had learned in, in Eretz Yisrael, you know, the real Litvish places. Um, but he engaged me in a whole discussion, and uh, I, I, I saw that he's very sincere. And so, to my credit, I just want to give myself a compliment here. I saw that he was sincere, and at a certain point I stopped answering his questions, and I said, look, go open up the Rebbe's Sichas. Go learn. You don't need my explanations. Who says that my interpretation is right? Go learn the Rebbe's Sichas. Learn from the Rebbe. And that's what he started to do, and it was beautiful. It's just beautiful to watch a Jew beginning to connect in that way directly without any uh, without any coaching without anybody to uh, you know mess with the process it was a beautiful thing and uh, so then he after he starts learning the Rebbe's Chassidus he started getting very excited and he had never been to the oil he told me I want to go to the oil so I said very good let's meet so the time that worked for him was Matzah Shabbos. So we met, it was late on a Saturday night, and he met me there once, and then he met me there a second time. He actually brought a friend of his who thought he was going crazy, you know, like this crazy guy. He's learning Chabad Chassidus, and he's going to the oil, and he met me a third time. He brought a different friend, and uh, anyways, but that, that, that's just background. So the story I want to tell you is like this. Remember this Tishrei? Uh, it was a three-day yamtiv, all, all the yamtivim. But the the beginning and the end, you know, Rosh Hashanah was three days, and Sukkot three days, and then the end of Sukkot, we had that marathon after the whole end of Tishrei, and then at the very end we had Shmini Atzeres, Simchas Torah, and Shabbos Bereishis back to back three days, right? So 
And, but he wanted to meet me that Saturday night at the oil like he had been doing, you know, like about every three, four weeks or so. Okay, fine, no problem. So uh, it was like 11 o'clock at night. So Saturday night, I met him at the oil. And uh, I'm sitting down with him, and we're talking. And a bocher, a bocher who I know, son of a friend, comes over to me. And he says, Rabbi Taub, we're raising money for a bottle of mashka to keep the fabrengen going. So uh, I gave him five bucks. And uh, I said, by the way, because I, I knew it would tickle the fancy of this Litvisha guy who's sitting there. I said, by the way, I, I know what you mean about keeping the Fabrengen going, but I just want to tell my friend because I think he'll enjoy it. It'll be novel for him. It'll be a chiddush. I said, you're saying you're keeping the Fabrengen going from Shabbos, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I say to my friend, you understand these boys have been at the oil for three days. They were there Shemini Yitzedes, Simchas they were dancing 48 hours. Then Shabbos Bereshis, which is also Shabbos Mavorchem with Tehillim. And the whole long chitas. And three Prokim Rambam. And, and now it's 11 p.m. And the whole Jewish world, every normal Orthodox Jew in the world, is taking two showers at this point. Because it's a three-day yomtiv that had hakafas twice in it depending on your, your minute, how many times I had to office. But everyone's taking two showers and, and getting pizza at the pizza shop. This kid, he wants to continue fabrengi. He didn't have enough. It's three days, nochanan, fabrengi But it's not, he's still going. So this Litvisha guy looks at me. I knew he would like it. But he says to me, he's like, He's like, no, 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 no. He's like, you don't understand. You don't understand what you have. He's like, do you understand where I come from? If an 18-year-old kid on a Saturday night from one of our yeshivas is looking for mashke, he's on a very, very scary path. He says, this is the only place in the world, this is the only place in the world that exists where I'm watching the same thing that in any other scenario would be so terrifying. And he says, I'm watching this, and it's the ultimate in, in Kiddusha and, and purity and, and, and faith. He says, you don't know what you have. That this is how, this is teenage craziness for Labavitch. And you know what I told him? I said, yes, it is. That's right. Every one of us. This is teenage craziness for Labavitch. I figured I would leave him to his impression. Ladies, mothers, Jewish mothers, um, we don't get to pick whether or not our children will rebel. We get to pick 
whether they think we're too from or not from enough. Let them think, let them think that we're a little bit balabatish, that we're holding them back from their shtustikadusha. Because if we don't let them have those channels they will find the other type of shtus, which is much more available and much easier and m- much more quickly gratifying. And they've ha- they, they, the shtus lumaze, has a much bigger marketing department than we do, unfortunately. When, when, a, when, a, when a girl stays up all night with no sleep, because she's working on, on, on decorations for a Shabbaton or, or on the float for Lag Boimer. You know, th- that's insanity. That's not healthy. Go to sleep. But they thrive on this radical. And their Rebbe, see, they're, they're teenagers, they're adolescents. They haven't had time to become jaded and become Balabatashach Sidim. They still understand how radical the Rebbe is. You know, you talk about it was normal, a 10-minute Shabbos Suda, and now what's a Shabbos Suda? Now, Baruch Hashem, we have good food in Crown Heights. Baruch Hashem. It's almost, you know, it's like it used to be that Amol, it was understood that Russian Chassidim you know, they excel in certain areas, but not in cuisine, you know. You want to eat well, go to the Hungarians. But Russian chassidim, what do they know? You're from three different kinds of potatoes, and that's, you know, and for a real, you know, what's, what's, what's a Labavacher Sudish Shabbos? You make Kiddush ten minutes before Shkia, and you eat a few crackers, and forget about washing for Shalosh. Even Lav Dafke washed the Shabbos day meal. But now, Baruch Hashem, we have good food, and we have chicken, and we have beef, and we have four or five types of salads, so we have a real Shabbos Suda. This should really attract our kids, because we're putting out such a delectable spread for the Shabbos Suda, they should be engaged. But let me ask you, that's what grabbed you? So how are we going to give them the 10-minute Shabbos Soda that we all know is the 10-minute Shabbos Soda of a real Lubavitcher Chassid? I don't know. You're the parents. You figure it out. I could give you a suggestion just popped in my head on the way over here. I was thinking about the fact this Shabbos Mirtashem, I'll be back in uh, Crown Heights for Shabbos. You have my place ready, right? Okay. Just checking. So there's a seating Shabbaton. Now, it's up to every parent and every mechanic to discuss. It's, they're your kids. You, you figure out what your standards and values are. And, and you know, the Rebbe said so many times in Igor Skadish, I saw so many times the Rebbe said, there are no rules. You can't have rules about people because everyone's different. Every human being is a whole world. So, you know, whatever worked for one kid doesn't work for your next kid. In fact, I'll surprise you, whatever worked for the same kid last year doesn't necessarily work for him this year. You've got to change it up all the time, right? But let me just, 
at your discretion. This is just an example, just to get you thinking. So you can decide whether or not your teenagers should have anything to do with the C-teen Shabbaton that's coming with these Chabad house teenagers. That's, that's, I'm not telling you yes or no. That's up to your discretion. Obviously, you're the parents. You're going to parent. But I'm saying, Lamashal, if your daughter ended up, instead of having a delectable Shabbos meal that is befitting a table in Borough Park, if instead she had a crazy Crown Heights 10-minute Shabbos Suda because she came home 10 minutes before Shkia because she was talking to a couple of girls from Iowa all Shabbos. I'm just saying, that kind of outlet for craziness, your daughter is going to gain a thousand times more than the two girls from Iowa she was talking to. And you all know it. We all know it. You appreciate that I spoke about this with you first before I spoke to the girls? But I told you, I'm not joking, I'm giving you warning. Because they're already rebelling. We don't get to make that choice anymore. That, 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 that horse left the barn. The question is, can we get back to basics? Can we get back to the program that our Rebbe introduced? A Rebbe who was radical from day one. And give our youth healthy, holy outlets for their power, their energy, their, 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 their craziness, their idealism, their ability to dream, their, their ability to, to see Mashiach as a reality and not to take no for an answer and not to be... You know the greatest tragedy? I was fabrenging with some Crown Heights, with some good guys, some younger light, Anash, you know, guys from the neighborhood, mid-30s, guys who grew up in this system right here. And I was talking to them. It was a sukkah's fabreng, we're fabreng in someone's sukkah. And I, and I said, you know what the difference is between a Labavacher and a regular good Jew? It was sukkah, so I said, any regular good Jew Sukkis gets up and he davens and when he finishes davening he understands that next time he will touch his lulav and asterisk is tomorrow morning. A Labavacher is someone who knows that until Shkia you're not done with lulav and asterisk. Because what, what difference does it make that I shook lulav and asterisk? How many Yidin are there that didn't shake lulav and asterisk? There was this tighter younger man there. And he turns to me, and you would think, whatever. I mean, I'm just, I want you to understand the matzav. And he turns to me, and he says, I can't, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he has good friends, Baruch Hashem. It's a good group where they can be vulnerable. It's a real fabreng, where they can really fabreng. And he was able to be vulnerable. He was able to be honest with his emotions. He says, I can't do it. I'm embarrassed. I said, when you were 15 years old, were you embarrassed? He said, when I was 15, I was crazy. 
I said, young man, what happened between 15 and 35? Who killed your dreams? Who, who, who took away that, that devotion and that, that idealism? Where'd that go? And I, I'm not casting blame. I'm not looking for answers. It doesn't matter how it happened. It doesn't matter how it happened. story has a happy ending. I mean, I found out. They told me a month later that it so happens, but you know, Hashem really has skills. Hashem is really good. He knows how to run a world. The, the very next day, this younger man who said he couldn't do it, he ended up uh, bringing his lulav with him to work in Manhattan. And it happened to be, Mamish, David has got skills, that while he was finishing shaking lulav, with a Brazilian couple. It was a Brazilian couple that had just flown, it was in Manhattan, and they had just gotten there that morning, I think, and he asked them, are you Jewish? And he was shaking lulav with them, with the husband and the wife. And at that moment, one of the other friends who was at that same Fabregen walked by, he was across the street, but he saw his friend with the little vest, and he says, until Shia, until Shia. You know, that's, that's, that, that's, that's a, that's a chosid. You know, with Gain Yankiv, that that kite, you know, yelling across the street. Vinish the spoil von Welt, you know, that that attitude. Until Shkia with the little living ass until Shkia, you know. And 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 like I said, there was never a class in that. No one had to sit anybody down and tell you this is what we do. Because that's just what we do. Youth are wild. Youth are crazy. Youth are rebels. The Rebbe loved youth. And the Rebbe continues to use our youth if we will let him. Make sense? Okay, thanks.